Welcome to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley. Today is Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2023. We hear from the Reverend Phil Brichard, rector, as he preaches on the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 14 and 15 through 20. As always, you can learn more about us and find old sermon archives on our website, allsoulsparish.org. My guess, my guess is that you've seen the photo already of the manger and the rubble this past week. It's been on the socials and in the newspapers. If you haven't seen this photo, it's um, a photo of the Lutheran church in Bethlehem, as in that Bethlehem in Israel. A pastor has set up a, a creche in the front of the church. But without any of the shepherds or the sheep or the wise ones. Jesus is just nestled there amongst the broken concrete and tile. There is much to say about that image, more than any one Christmas sermon could possibly hold. But one of the things I have been thinking about this past week is that that portrayal of a manger is more accurate this year than the crushes we build in most years. And it's because the story that we are celebrating tonight is not the story that we often think it is. Over time, and by time I mean centuries upon centuries, we have made this story into something that it's not. So it helps to really look past the, the layers of meaning that have accrued. Because our gospel writer in this, Luke's gospel, tells us our story in a very particular way. You see, it's not a mistake that they start this story off, the story about the birth of Jesus, within the frame of the Roman Empire. Because in the first century, around the Mediterranean, one would expect the king of kings to be born in Rome. It was the seat of one of the most far-reaching, most powerful empires on earth. Who wouldn't expect the mighty God to be born there? Except that he wasn't. So Luke then draws our our attention away from the center of power in Rome to one of the the far-off provinces, the province of Syria. And then once he's drawn our attention there, he goes even further to a backwater region of Galilee, And then frames the area of Judea and finally to this very small town. I mean, a a village, maybe, called Bethlehem. And then the people who witness to this glorious impossible, they aren't the ones who are in charge, the ones with authority, 
No, the people who witness are the sheep herders. The ones who are literally living on the edge of civilization. It seems to me that we are often expecting for God to be born, for God to be made known in the shiny seats of power, in the supposedly perfect and beautiful places. We are sure that those are the places where God will show up. In reality, though, God was born, God continues to be born on the edges. God was born, became human in a family that was forced to uproot so that the empire could count them, so that they could be taxed, so that the empire could keep up the status quo. But this story, this story is different. This story says, pay attention to the edges, for this is the aperture, this is the frame, this is the way to see God. God is born in the trailer parks, in the hospital waiting rooms, in the war zones, in the rubble of our lives, and the family member who brings out the worst in you, and the places where we go only if we have to. We keep looking to the centers of power outside and within. And God awaits us on the edges. When my friend Claire was 16 years old, she flew out from Ohio to the West Coast to meet her college-aged sister Lauren so that they could make their way to uh, a thing called the Rainbow Gathering. All right. It's a, a gathering of, of hippies and their friends in a national forest. This year it was in Idaho. And so they hitchhiked their way from California to Oregon to Washington, where they were dropped off at a gas station in southeastern Washington by the Columbia River Gorge, hopefully just one more ride away from the gathering. And along the way, they, uh, they were really smart. They put all of their cash, both of their IDs, and their sole credit card into a fanny pack, because that way it would always be close to them which was fine until they went into that gas station in the middle of somewhere Washington looking to buy some trail mix for a snack. And Lauren asked Claire for the fanny pack, which Claire didn't have because Lauren had it, except that she didn't. And with a terrible sinking feeling, they realized that in the backseat of some car, that was now driving away from the middle of nowhere was all of their money, their identification, and their sole credit card. 
All they had was their backpacks with three changes of clothes and some sleeping mats and sleeping bags. Lauren uh, decided to act and convinced someone who was filling up their truck to try and catch up with the car that had given them a ride. And so 16-year-old Claire sat down on the curb of the gas station outside the mini-mart waiting in the middle of somewhere in southeastern Washington. She was very alone for an hour and then two hours. Eventually, the gas station attendant came out to talk with her. He was in his 20s, was missing some teeth, and Claire was, well, skeptical because she was alone on the edge of anything or any place she knew. But he was kind. It turned out his name was Jason, and his girlfriend's name was Lacey. And she came and sat down next to Claire, and they talked. After about three hours, Lauren returned, but without any of the cash or their IDs or their credit card. And late afternoon was turning into evening, and Lauren and Claire had no place to stay and no food and no money. And then without prompting, Jason and Lacey invited Claire and, their si- and her sister to stay with them that night in their trailer. And Claire and Lauren said yes. Which as a parent of humans this age, when Claire told me this story, I was like, no! <laughs> the trailer was very simple. It had two rooms, a bedroom and the other room. The kitchen was uh, the corner of one of the, of the other room there with a sink and a hot plate. And Jason and Lacey fed Claire and Lauren that night from that hot plate, and the sisters slept there in their sleeping bags. And the next morning, Jason and Lacey sent them on their way with ten precious dollars. Now, uh, Claire and her sister made it to the Rainbow Gathering, you'll be glad to know. In that national forest in Idaho where they somehow met Lauren's friends, which is a whole other story, and maybe I'll tell that one on Easter. <laughs> but, uh, and then they eventually hitchhiked their way back to Ohio, camping and eating along the way thanks to the kindness of strangers. But it was that first night after having lost everything that has especially stayed with them these decades later. Because it was one of the people in whom they least expected, they least trusted, who showed them mercy, who took care of them, who gave them a sense of hope that traveled with them from that point on. It seems to me that Christ is born, Christ is made known 
when we find mercy on the edges. In the places and in the people where we might least expect to find them. Say at a gas station, in the intersection of nowhere and who knows where, with a gas station attendant who is missing several teeth. We gather this night to remember and to wonder about the ground of all being having been born in a human body on the edges of an empire. And we gather trusting that this is where God is reliably known, at the edges, in the words and in the actions of the people around us, sometimes in those we least expect. And even more than that, we gather this night trusting that this same Christ is born in us, made known to us, made known in us. But here's the deal. It's likely not in the defended, not in the parts of us that have it all figured out. If we keep trusting that we'll find God using that same aperture, that same frame of looking to the edges, it's my sense that it's in the unformed, in the anxious, in the uncertain, in the uncomfortable parts of us where God will be showing up. which I have to say, I find to be an incredible relief. Because it means that we don't have to have all our stuff together. The Christmas dishes don't have to come out on time. We don't have to have the perfect gift. Hell, we don't even have to bring a gift. You can tell your aunt I said that. We don't have to experience wonder or awe or joy in order to come close to Christmas. We just have to be willing to show up with an open heart. We have to be willing to meet God at the painful and the raw and the vulnerable edges of ourselves. Again, friends, it's my experience that we keep looking for Christmas in all the places within and around us that seem like Rome. In control, without any anxiety or messiness. And yet the promise of Christmas is that the grace of God, the unbound, unmerited, unrelenting love of God, is actually known when we go to the edges and find God there.